On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Red Sox and their series starting with the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. We'll also take a look back at the Red Sox wildcard victory over the Yankees on Tuesday night. We will also take a look at some other playoff matchups from around Major League Baseball's the Division Series gets underway tonight, so we'll take a look at a couple of those series. Uh, we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around Major League Baseball as the playoffs are upon us. We will also then get to the NFL, talk a little bit about the Patriots, uh, talk about the Stephon Gilmore trade that went down yesterday, so we'll get all into that, get a breakdown of the deal and what it means going forward for the Patriots. We'll also Um, get to some Patriots thoughts, some leftover thoughts from Sunday's loss to the Buccaneers. We'll also look ahead to the Patriots matchup with the Houston Texans on Sunday, take a look at some of the things that they need to do to be successful. We'll also take a look at week five around the NFL, including tonight's Thursday night game, what to expect from that game, what to expect from other games this week as well. And then we'll take a look at some notes from around the NFL. Then we will get to the Bruins talk about their uh, their preseason as it came to a close last night with an overtime loss to Washington. So we'll talk a bit about just some thoughts on the preseason, get to uh, some thoughts about Jack Stadnika. We'll also get into some thoughts about what the roster projection will look like for the Bruins on opening night. We'll also get to some news and notes from around the NHL, including some Olympic updates Um, And then we will get to our interview with uh, Suffolk hockey forward, Sean Montgomery. Um, So some great content uh, in that conversation. So I'm excited for uh, the listeners to get a listen on that. And then we will get to talking about the Celtics, a little bit about the NBA. Celtics had their first preseason game on Monday. So we'll get into some thoughts about that and just some thoughts about uh, the Celtics as a whole as the preseason rolls on. And then as we get closer to the regular season. We'll also get to some notes from around the association as well. Um, And then we will talk a little bit about the WNBA playoffs, talk a little bit about U.S. men's national team, their uh, qualifier um, qualifiers for the month of October start tonight. So we'll take a look at those, those games. And then we will also take a look at college football week six, as well as the uh, rankings going into this week. So with that being said, let's go. And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. And uh, today, folks, we got plenty to talk about. There is all kinds of stuff going on. You got the Red Sox playoffs, you know, plenty to talk about with the Patriots. Uh, you know, Bruins are getting close to season starting, Celtics too, you know, with the preseason. So it's a, it is a very exciting time. And I also 
am happy to announce that we have a special guest on today's podcast, uh, my good friend Sean Montgomery, who is a forward for the Suffolk University hockey team. Um, so he and I had a great uh, interview that you'll hear later in the episode, um, kind of after we talk about the Bruins. So um, that is something to look forward to. I'm really looking forward to getting for or getting our, our listeners a chance to hear um, our conversation. So really looking forward to that. Um, but let's just get right into it. We'll get right into the episode. Um, as always, you can follow the uh, podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you can listen to us on Apple's Podcasts and on Spotify. If you like, you can follow us on Spotify. You can uh, like uh, and subscribe on um, Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a review if you'd like um, and a star rating. would really appreciate uh, any of that. Uh, so you can do that whenever. You can also read uh, some of my written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. I just recently posted an article Tuesday right before the Red Sox game about three players to watch for the Red Sox this postseason. Um, so looking forward to posting on that site a little bit more often. We'll definitely have a Bruins and Celtics uh, preview of some sort as we get closer to the regular season. So we will start uh, in a spot that... I think at this time of year, we're not always used to, you know, starting with baseball. But the, uh, in case you haven't heard, the Red Sox are in the playoffs. So, you know, a team in the playoffs kind of does take take precedence around here in terms of, you know, what, what we're going to talk about on the podcast. Um, but obviously, Red Sox with a win over the Yankees on Tuesday night. Uh, Red Sox obviously getting into the wild card game. Uh, thanks to a sweep of the Washington Nationals last weekend um, in a series in which the Red Sox had came up with some big clutch hits, um, especially in the Saturday and Sunday games. You know, Red Sox with a big ninth inning in um, Game 2 in Washington, and then obviously Devers go ahead a home run in the ninth inning. Red Sox clinch. Um, the clinch home field advantage in the wild card game, and it uh, exactly was a home. It was, you know, exactly what you would expect a home field advantage um, at Fenway Park, and it certainly was. You know, if you watched, uh, if you watched that game, you could sense that the crowd was very into the game, and you know, clearly it was October baseball at Fenway Park. You know, fans were rowdy, were you know chanting Garrett Cole's name, you know, just uh, good to hear that type of energy um, from a Fenway Park crowd that I think has been, you know, has been through, you know, a fan base that I think has been through some tough times in the last couple of years. You know, I know, yes, they won the World Series three years ago, but, you know, I think last season, obviously challenging without fans, you know, even being allowed in the park, you know, and then 2019, which is a very disappointing season. Also, um, but it was just great to hear the crowd. Red Sox um, gave them plenty to cheer about. You know, Bogarts the home run in the first inning, um, and then Kyle Schwarber with an absolute tape measure shot um, in the third inning. Red Sox ride those home runs to a six-two win. Um, Alex Verdugo also had three RBI, so he was huge in this game. Uh, Nathan Navaldi also was fantastic, pitched five in the third. Um, 
the Red Sox, you know, pulled him a little quickly, but I think when you think about these wild card games that are one game playoffs, you know, you really can't afford to leave a starter in too long. Um, and I think that the Red Sox, you know, keeping Evaldi in the game maybe could have been a depth could have been detrimental um, because he, you know, gives up the home run to uh, Rizzo and then Judge reaches base. And then, you know, it just was like, it's a 3-1 game. You really don't want to leave a starter in too long. And it's, you know, the one game playoff that, you know, makes it so, you know, if a pitcher runs into trouble, you kind of have to get him out as soon as you can. So um, the Red Sox go to Ryan Brazer and um, get a very, very great defensive play that kind of ch- kind of saved the game uh, for the Red Sox. You know, Stanton hitting the double off the wall, and the Red Sox make a great defensive play to get Judge out trying to advance and try to score. You know, in a situation that you know would have made it a one-run game, and the Yankees have a runner in scoring position, so um, that was really kind of the biggest play of the game. And then the Red Sox able to get a couple more hits in. The, Seventh, sixth, and seventh inning um, to get a couple more runs across and get the win. So um, the offense definitely came to play. A number of big hits, including the home runs. So it definitely was a well-earned win by the Red Sox. You know, this was not a game that you know the Yankees lost it. You know, maybe you could say that okay, Garrett Cole definitely did not have his best stuff, which I think is fair. Um, but I also think the Red Sox really just came to play. Um, and really were energized and had that sense of urgency that it didn't really look like the Yankees had in the first couple innings. So, you know, big win for the Red Sox, but, you know, it does not get any easier um, having to play a Tampa Bay Rays team tonight in Game 1 of the ALDS. The Red Sox throwing out um, Eduardo Rodriguez in Game 1. Chris Sale will pitch Game 2. Likely that Nathan Avaldi will pitch Game 3 on Sunday. So the Red Sox will play tonight at 8, tomorrow at 7, and then Sunday at 4 o'clock. So this is going to be a series in which the Red Sox are, to me, pretty pretty serious underdogs. You know, you're facing a 100-win Tampa Bay Rays team with, you know, very solid starting pitching. You know, it's not starting pitching that's going to blow you away and be, oh, they have, you know, superstar pitchers. They really don't, you know, really kind of what their mark is. Really what, really what they've made their mark on is big-time relief pitchers that can throw high 90s and, you know, really make it difficult on opposing lineups, you know, with the different guys that they can use. Um, and they also have an offense that has, <laughs> has, I think, outperformed a lot of expectations. They have three or four guys that have hit 30 home runs this year, including Nelson Cruz. Brandon Lau and uh, Mike Zunino. So, you know, they're an offense that if you're not careful, they can beat you. And I think playing in uh, a park like Tampa Bay, you know, which is a pretty serious hitters park, you know, the Red Sox have to be very careful with keeping the ball in the, in, in the, in the ballpark. You know, they really have to do the, do the best job they can at limiting the amount of home runs Tampa Bay hits in this series. So I think it's, Limiting limiting your mistake pitches, really, I think is the biggest thing. So uh, you have Rodriguez tonight. You have Sale tomorrow. You know, Rodriguez, while I think start to finish has not had the best year, 
I think towards the end of the season, he's kind of found his groove. So I think that it's something to feel good about if you're a Red Sox fan. Um, I also think that the bullpen's performance on Tuesday should make you feel a little bit better. But I think as we've seen, it's hard to kind of take that bullpen seriously because you kind of never know what they're going to do. But to their credit, they pitched well um, on Tuesday night, got a little help from the defense. That's that's definitely for sure. Um, but I think this series is really going to come down to that. You know, if the Red Sox can get good, solid starting pitching and, you know, get games to the bullpen late in games, you know, obviously that that's going to be a recipe for success. Um, but I think it's really up to the bullpen. You know, if they pitch well in this series, the Red Sox could very well win this series. And if they don't, you know, I don't think there's really any chance that they win this series. So, you know, the offense for the Red Sox can do what they can do and can be an offense that can hit home runs, that can drive guys in with runners in scoring position, can drive guys in with two outs. But I really think, really just in this series and in the playoffs in general, you know, you need to have a bullpen that you can count on, that you can count on to get outs. Um, And it doesn't have to be flashy. I mean, you've looked at some of the Houston Astros teams that have done well in the playoffs. They've not necessarily had the best bullpens, but they've been able to get key outs when they've needed it. So I think that really is the biggest thing. So I think... It definitely is the difference maker in this series. You know, I think can the Red Sox pitch well from a starting stand, from a starting pitching perspective? Probably, but I really think it's going to come down to what can the bullpen do? Can they get out of jams? You know, can they make defensive plays at a, at key times? You know, the Red Sox were one of the worst defensive teams in the American League this season, so. You know, this is a defense that at times has let the team down. So I think they really have to be as focused as they possibly can. Um, But I think starting a series on the road, I think with the Red Sox, you know, winning that game against the Yankees, going into the Tampa Bay series with some momentum, they might be able to steal one of these games. And I think that's really the biggest thing. When you start any type of postseason series, really in any sport, you want to split the first two games if you're starting on the road. So I think for the Red Sox, you want to win this game one and kind of give Tampa Bay a sense of, okay, this is not going to be an easy series. Like we're going to come in and we're going to play with urgency. Um, And I think that the Red Sox being that underdog really might serve them well. You know, it might be a series where everyone is not expecting the Red Sox to win, you know, and I think from a, you know, non-biased perspective. No, you usually pick the team that won 100 games and the team that I think has been the best team in the American League really over the last couple months. Um, but you never know. And that's the, the beautiful thing about the Major League Baseball playoffs is it's a small sample size. And, you know, teams that do the best in the regular season, it doesn't necessarily translate. And, you know, teams that maybe struggle over the last couple months of the season like the Red Sox did. I mean, they were only, they were about 500 for the last 60 games of the season, you know, and could they get hot and beat Tampa Bay? Sure. Could Tampa Bay come in and just dominate the Red Sox? Absolutely. You know, I really think it can go any, any way, but I think me from a trying to be non-biased and trying not to 
you know, pick the Red Sox. It just, over the course of a five games, or over the course of really a series, it's hard for me to trust that Red Sox bullpen. And I think, I don't want to say that, oh, I think that they are definitely going to lose this series, but I just, I feel more confident that Tampa Bay is going to win the series. But the Red Sox can definitely make this interesting. You know, I don't think Tampa Bay is sweeping the Red Sox. I think that this goes at least four or five games, um, and the Red Sox, you know, fight valiantly, but I just don't think that their bullpen is going to stand up to Tampa Bay's. Um, but again, it's the Major League Baseball playoffs. Anything can happen. You know, I think that this is my kind of personal opinion that this is how I think the series will go, but who knows? You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. So the Red Sox and Rays begin the series tonight. Um, in Tampa Bay, 808 start, Eduardo Rodriguez, Shane McClanahan will start for Tampa Bay. Um, and that's what I was going to do. I was going to look at the Red Sox postseason roster, um, which was just released a little while ago. I was actually hoping that it would get released before we started recording, uh, which it did, which is great. So, um, we will start taking a look at the catchers. We'll go through the position players, then go through the pitchers. So no surprises here. Kevin Ploiecki, Christian Vasquez, really no surprises. Either of those guys, Ploiecki did have, I think he had a couple of hits in the wild card game. Um, and Vasquez obviously is a fantastic defensive catcher. Um, so you'll likely see him starting tonight, I would think, with Rodriguez and with Sale. And then Ploiecki probably catching for Ivaldi as he did on Tuesday night. For the infielders, no surprises here. Um, I think it's the same infielders you saw on the wild card roster. Uh, Bogarts, Dahlbeck, Devers, uh, Christian Arroyo, and Travis Shaw is kind of that utility guy. But also, the Red Sox are carrying Kike Hernandez and Danny Santana as infielders slash outfielders. So those two guys will have um, the ability to be kind of utility guys in the infield or outfield. Um, and then in the outfield, the Red Sox have Renfro, Schwarber, Alex Verdugo, and J.D. Martinez, which is a little surprising considering Martinez was not on the wild card roster. Um, he had turned his ankle in Sunday's game against Washington, uh, but he is on the ALDS roster, so it kind of might tell you that he might be healthy enough to play tonight, but we will see, of course. Um, and then you mentioned Hernandez and Santana. Um, Santana's kind of an interesting player to put on there. Uh, the Red Sox, I think, like his speed and like what he can do defensively. I think that there could have been some discussion about whether Jaron Duran should be on the the roster, uh, but I think, to me, I don't think it's going to matter very much. It would be interesting to see, though, if the Red Sox do advance, does Duran get a spot on the ALCS roster or possibly World Series roster if they go that far. Um, and so here is here are the pitchers the Red Sox are, are using. Uh, Ryan Brazer, Austin Davis. Um, so these are the relievers. I'll say relievers first. Uh, Bra- Brazer, Austin Davis, uh, Tanner Houck, Ottavino, Perez, Garrett Richards, Hansel Robles, Garrett Whitlock, and Josh Taylor. Uh, most notably, the relief pitcher not on this roster is Matt Barnes. Um, obviously he's had a pretty terrible second half of the season. Um, so he was not on the wild card roster and I don't think is on this roster either. So 
you know, he kind of imploded a little bit over the second half of the year, so that's unfortunate. Um, but the Red Sox do have a good amount of arms. Um, and then in terms of starters, you get Ivaldi, Rodriguez, Sale, and Nick Pavetta. So I would expect maybe Pavetta pitches game four, or maybe he pitches out of the bullpen, you know, if one of the starters gets into trouble. Um, it is also worth noting the Red Sox have Hauk, Perez, and Richards, who I think are capable of throwing kind of long relief innings. The Red Sox have seemingly used Richards and Perez in kind of shorter relief outings. And then Hauk, I think, also is another guy like Pavetta who you could throw in there, you know, if Rodriguez or Sale, you know, has a tough time and, you know, can't get out of the third inning and you have to bring someone in. Um, so I think the Red Sox have a pretty, have a pretty, pretty, pretty balanced, pretty versatile roster, which I think will, will help them in this Tampa Bay series. Um, so taking a look around the rest of Major League Baseball as we look at the uh, kind of official start to the playoffs, I guess, you know, with the wild card games being completed, uh, the Dodgers beating the Cardinals in a walk-off win last night, Chris Taylor with a two-run home run in the ninth, so the Dodgers will advance to play will advance to play the Giants in the division series. So the American League Division Series will start today. Red Sox and Rays, obviously, at 8. And then you have the White Sox and the uh, Astros today at 4.07. So, you know, I think we talked about each of these series um, last week. Um, I think that this is going to be a very interesting series because I think you have the White Sox, who have been an up-and-coming team over the last couple of years and have been a team that has, rid, that has kind of ridden their pitching um, and their hitting. You know, Jose Abreu will be available, I believe, for this series. So I think it's, you know, what gives? Is it the Astros and their experience? Is it the White Sox and their pitching? Um, so the series starts to this afternoon in Houston. So Astros will host the first two, then the series will shift to Chicago for three and then possibly four. Um I think it's been a kind of an under-the-radar season for Houston. You know, they've kind of been a team that's been pretty consistent all year long, but you've not really heard a lot about them. You know, and I think they're a team that is very experienced when it comes to postseason baseball. You know, they've been in the playoffs the last couple of years that I can remember. You know, even a team that made the playoffs as a sub-500 team last year. Um, but they're well-managed. You know, they have a lineup that I think rivals any in Major League Baseball in terms of what they can do from a power perspective. Um, but I think the White Sox have the edge in pitching and in the bullpen. But I will just say Houston is a very tough place to play. It's a very underrated place to play in the playoffs. So I think there's a possibility that the, Astro, the Astros run away with this series you know, if they can get their bats going and get them going early. But I think typically good pitching beats good hitting. So I think the White Sox may have an advantage with their starting pitching and their bullpen. But I think, you know, if the Astros can mash, they'll be fine. Um, but I do expect that this series goes the distance. Um, and I really think it's up in the air. But I think at the end of the day, if Houston has that home field advantage in Game 5, they're probably going to win the series. So I like the Astros in five in the American League. And then in the National League, you have two series that will start tomorrow. Um, the Obviously, Dodgers and the Giants. The Dodgers winning the wild card game last night. 
clinching a spot in the division series in which they will play the Giants tomorrow at 9.37 in San Francisco. Um, the Dodgers and Giants, obviously, the two teams with the most wins in Major League Baseball, 107 for the Giants, 106 for the Dodgers. So it was pretty crazy that you saw the Dodgers playing in a wild card game last night with 106 wins and the possibility that they could have gone home. Um, I will just say credit to the Cardinals for putting together a really impressive second half run, 17 straight wins to even, you know, sniff a chance to get into the playoffs. Um, it just, they just were not able to get the clutch hit that the rain, the, the Dodgers were able to get. So um, credit to them for putting together a great second half run, getting to the playoffs, the Dodgers ultimately just too much. Um, but I think that this is going to be a very interesting series. You have both teams, that have been very good, you know, their rivals. I think that you're going to see a division series for the ages um, in this series. I just think that the Dodgers have too much talent, um, and I think that they win the series, but I don't think there's any chance that this series goes anything less than five. Um, I like the Dodgers to win, but the Giants are going to make this a very interesting series. Um, but... I do expect the Dodgers to win, but the Giants can pitch, they can hit. You know, they have been one of the most well-balanced teams in baseball this season. Guys like Brandon Belt, Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, um, and got, they have great starting pitching as well. So I like the Dodgers to win this series, but I think that it's going to be a great series. Um, and then the Braves and the Brewers with the other National League series. Uh, the Brewers have been a very in my opinion, a very underrated team this year, despite winning 95 games. Uh, the Braves come in winning 88 games, did not really have the best regular season. They did kind of turn it around in the second half of the year, which was kind of expected. It was a down year for a couple of players in Atlanta, but I think that this is an interesting series because Atlanta, to me, is similar to Houston in that they've had a plenty of postseason experience in the last couple of years and the Brewers really haven't you know the Brewers had a great season really put it together this year but there might be something to be said for Atlanta's experience but <laughs> I think that Milwaukee is going to win this series I just think that they've been playing a lot better than the Braves have over the last couple of weeks the Braves have kind of I don't want to say well they've not exactly or They've not exact, they didn't exactly run away with the National League East. You know, I think that that was a division that had a pretty big down year, and I think the Braves kind of took advantage that they just were able to get hot at the right time and able to win the division, while the Brewers kind of were ahead in their division almost the entire season. So um, I like the Brewers to win this series in four. Um, I think Atlanta makes it an interesting series, but I think the Brewers are ultimately uh, too much, so... If we take a look at what I predict is going to happen, I think you'll see a National League Championship Series between Milwaukee and Los Angeles, and then the American League will be between Houston and the Rays. So before we move on, we'll take a look at some notes from around Major League Baseball. Obviously, the Dodgers with the walk-off win last night, um, and then you have Dodgers-Giants, that series starting tomorrow. Um, 
the Atlanta-Milwaukee series starts tomorrow afternoon at 4. Um, so some notes from around Major League Baseball. As we mentioned, Jose Abreu will be able to play in Game 1 this afternoon. He was questionable, I think, with an injury he had suffered a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Padres firing their manager after two seasons. That was a pretty disappointing finish to the year for the Padres as they were in the wild card chase in the National League for a pretty long time in the first half of the season and then just kind of fell apart. You know, they were one of those teams that a lot of people thought were going to make a big run this year, but, you know, ultimately just was not in the cards for them. And then the Red Sox releasing their ALDS roster, which we just took a look at. So Red Sox raised tonight at 8.07, and then the White Sox and the Astros this afternoon at 4.07 from Houston. So I think that probably does it for baseball. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Patriots. Obviously, they had uh, some big news yesterday. Stephon Gilmore initially was reported that he was getting released. Um, The move did not become official until 4 o'clock, and so the Patriots were able to make a trade with the Carolina Panthers. Um, So it was not a release. It was a trade, Patriots trade. Gilmore to the Panthers for a 2023 sixth-round pick. And obviously, it it was a surprise. You know, it was a big-time surprise yesterday. The Patriots, you know, trading one of their better defensive players over the last couple of years. Um, So it's kind of an, an interesting situation. Um, you know, I think clearly any kind of extension talks, I think, stalled and just were not on the table anymore. And the Patriots probably just felt that, you know, it just wasn't going to make sense to keep him on the roster the rest of the season um, or the next couple weeks because he wasn't going to be able to play until at least week seven. You know, the move also frees up about, I think it's like five or six million in cap space. And so gave the Patriots the space to uh, bring back Jamie Collins, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, But I think ultimately money has a lot to do with why the Patriots made this trade. Um, You know, making a trade versus releasing him, you know, save them a little bit more money, which is kind of wild. I'm not really sure the details of why they would have been able to save money, because typically when you release a player you have to eat some of their salary. I'm not really sure why that wasn't the case. That's something you can probably read about that's um, above <laughs> above my pay grade, above something that I, I don't really understand. Uh, but I think obviously it's important to remember that, you know, Gilmore had a number of really good seasons here, you know, helped win a Super Bowl, uh, one defensive player of the year two years ago, and I think really gave the Patriots some really good play in terms of, you know, the contract that they gave him. And it really was good performance that they got for a couple of years. Um, it just is unfortunate that things kind of went down the way that they did. You know, unfortunately his season ended early last year, you know, with the quad injury had to get surgery and, you know, did show up to training camp, which I think he deserves credit for that. Um, but it just was strange because it seemed like, you know, he got this surgery and the thought was maybe he would be able to play, you know, in the regular season, but clearly they put him on the the PUP list, which, you know, doesn't allow him to play for the first six games of the season. So, you know, clearly that is still being rehabbed and 
I think that, you know, another part of this is the Patriots want to invest in J.C. Jackson in the long term. And um, I think that it's a fairly obvious thing that you should want to invest in. So if you have two players of the same position and, you know, one is 31 coming off quad surgery and another one is 25 years old and has been one of your better cornerbacks over the last couple of years, you know, as well as Gilmore, I think the answer is pretty obvious that you should extend the younger player and the player that has more potential, you know, and arguably might be a better player at this time, at this point in time. Now, I know that we've not seen Gilmore on the field since, um, you know, almost a year ago at this point. Um, And so it's, you know, hard to evaluate what type of player that he is. But at the same time, you know, if he's a guy that's coming off the, the quad surgery, it's pretty hard to get, you know, the correct value for him in terms of making a trade. And so I just don't understand why people think that, you know, oh, here they are cheaping out another asset. And it's like, well, what type of asset is he if he's a player who is injured and, you know, is not going to be able to play for a team maybe halfway through the season? So I guess that part kind of confused me that people think that this is a a mismanaged asset, but it's like, you know, the time that you maybe could have traded him was, you know, in the off season, but he had the surgery. So it's like, what team is really going to want to trade for him? You know, and I just think, I don't really have an issue with the Patriots trading him. I really don't have an issue with, with any of this, you know, and also, you know, another thing about this is I think the Patriots felt comfortable in letting him go based on the performance of some of their cornerbacks this season, you know, and even the performance of some of them in Sunday night's game against Tampa, you know, you go up against one of the best offenses in the league that might arguably be the best offense in the league. And I know that Gronkowski wasn't available and all that, but the Patriots secondary did a great job against Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin. Chris Godwin was virtually taken out of the game you know, Mike Evans didn't really do anything. You know, Antonio Brown may have been the one guy who, you know, hurt you in Sunday night's game. But I thought that for the most part, the secondary played well, you know. And so I think the Patriots might think that they are, you know, okay without Stephon Gilmore. And I also just think if the Patriots were probably not going to give him a new contract, what's the point in keeping him around? You know, if you trade him, you save some money. I know that it's not really the return that you would have wanted if he's, you know, fully healthy. But on the other hand, you know, if he was fully healthy and ready, I don't know if the Patriots would still, or would have shopped him. You know, it's something to think about, but I think that it's another kind of example of the Patriots choosing to, you know, move on from a player who's older. And, you know, I think... The Patriots are a team that historically don't believe that kind of older players are going to be able to kind of recoup their their value that maybe they had when they were younger, when they, you know, signed an initial contract. Um, and so I think this is a move the Patriots are making with the idea that, okay, Gilmore is coming off of surgery. He probably is not going to be the same guy that he was two years ago, and he might not ever be that player again. Um, and I also think... You know, by offloading him to Carolina, 
or I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. No. So what I think is likely you're going to see him get somewhat of a, a sizable contract in the off season. Um, and I think that it's going to, the Patriots are going to look smart by not offering him a big long-term contract because I think you consider his age, you consider what he's coming off of. It just, it doesn't really seem smart to keep him around. And I think that, yes, there are people that are shocked by this, but I don't really think you should be that surprised. You know, I think the Patriots are, are taking a calculated risk, but it's a calculated risk that they've made plenty of time, and most of the time it's worked out. You know, maybe Brady's the only guy where it didn't work out, and, you know, they are feeling the effects of it. But, you know, to me that doesn't really count because I think that Tom kind of chose to go to Tampa Bay and the Patriots, you know, did offer him a good amount of money to stay. So, you know, obviously we've had this conversation already. Don't need to get into it again. Um, but I think that, you know, those are a couple of reasons why you saw this this move happen with the Patriots dealing um, Gilmore to Carolina. The Patriots, ironically, do play Carolina uh, the first weekend in November. So I'll be curious to see if Gilmore will be in uniform. It is worth noting that he is from South Carolina, so I think that that played into it a little bit that Carolina was a team that wanted to make the trade and kind of desperately needed to make a trade um, as they had lost their top rookie, uh, J.C. Horn, to a season-ending injury a couple of weeks ago, so they get him in the fold. So I'd be curious to see if he helps or what he can do for Carolina down the road. So as far as the Patriots and their matchup with Houston, um, I think that it makes sense for us to talk about Sunday's game against Tampa just a little bit. I think just based on what they were able to do and keep that game close. And I think that the Patriots deserve a lot of credit. I think the defense deserves a lot of credit for how they played in that game. And I think that the offense you know, had its moments, had its successful moments where I think for the first time you saw this offense really kind of get into a groove that, yes, the running game was virtually zero or negative one. They finished the game with negative one rushing yards, but I thought the passing game really kind of seemed to take a step. As Mac Jones looked incredibly comfortable, completed 19 straight passes, which I think was the most for a player in the last 30 years or I think maybe it was most for a rookie. Uh, but anyway, you know, he looked really good in that game. The Patriots, I think, you know, definitely could have walked away with a win in this game. You know, unfortunately, just wasn't in the cards. But um, I think the Patriots really shouldn't be too upset with how they played in that game. You know, you went toe-to-toe with a team that was the defending champs, a team that most likely is going to be a Super Bowl contender again this year. Um and you played, you played really well. You know, it's a, a I, as I said, going into this game, it was a measuring stick game for the Patriots, and I think they measured up pretty well. You know, and I think that yes, it's challenging to be at one and three after the first four games, but I think the Patriots are often a team that catch their stride later in the season. And you know, could this be the game on Sunday against Houston that they kind of start to to turn the tide? Um, and I think so. You know, I think Houston's a team that is uh, 
obviously not very good. They got blown out by the Bills last week, 40 to nothing. So, you know, this is a team that the Patriots should be able to take advantage of. Um, you know, Davis Mills has been their quarterback the last couple of games and through four interceptions last week, the Patriots really should have no problem defensively in this game. And I think that offensively, it gives the Patriots an opportunity to continue, you know, some of the, or kind of continue with the positive momentum that they had with the offense um, on Sunday's game. And I know that I said a lot about the passing game, but I also think that this is a game the Patriots need to get back to establishing the run. Um, and I knew that it was really not going to be possible to run the ball really at all against Tampa Bay on Sunday. You know, they're a defense that, you know, no one really can run on them. You know, just doesn't matter if you have an all-pro running back in the backfield like Ezekiel Elliott um, in that first week. You know, they're going to shut you down. So I would like to see the Patriots get back to establishing the run in this game against Houston. And I know a lot of people want to see Mac Jones, you know, gun the ball 50 yards down the field. But, you know, you want to get back to what you want your offensive identity to be or start establishing that offensive identity. So I really hope that this is a game the Patriots can break out offensively and put up close to 30 points and have the running game, have the passing game both working well, you know, and trying to try to get some momentum going from that Sunday night game and try to get some momentum going into a matchup with the Cowboys next week. Now, obviously the Patriots are not a team that looks ahead, so I probably shouldn't say that, but I think that it's very important that Patriots get into an offensive rhythm and continue that from Sunday night as they try to, you know, get their season back on track. So the Patriots and Texans will face off Sunday at one o'clock. I think that could this be a potential trap game? Maybe, but I do also know that Bill Belichick and his track record against rookie quarterbacks is uh, is pretty good. So I think, you know, defensively the Patriots should be all right. You know, I think that you want to see them continue to get pressure on the quarterback and you want to see them continue to be a team that's solid in the secondary. You know, Jalen Mills is someone that quietly has had a pretty solid start to the season. So um, Brandon Cooks is a guy that you definitely have to watch out for um, if you're a Patriots fan. Um, you know, we, we know him well enough that he can be a potential game-breaking receiver as he had a couple of strong seasons with the Patriots. So uh, 1 o'clock game, Patriots and Texans in Houston. So the Patriots will be going on the road this week. So with that being said, we will take a look at the Week 5 matchups. There is a matchup tonight, Thursday Night Football on Fox, the Rams and the Seahawks, uh, both teams in the NFC West that is shaping up to be a really good division once again. Um, this game in Seattle tonight, the Rams at 3-1, and one, the Seahawks at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Rams with a humbling loss to the Cardinals last week, their first loss of the season, and the Seahawks. I believe coming off a win in their last game um, against the against the 49ers. So, um, really interesting game. Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson have been off to great starts. So, possibility you see a lot of offense in this game. Um, really looking forward to the NFC West battle this season as, as it's already a really good battle. So, the Rams, Seahawks, 
Um, I like the Rams on the road. I think that they bounce back um, after their loss to the uh, Cardinals. The Jets and the Falcons will play at 9.30 on Sunday morning. This game will be in London. So the Jets and the Falcons both at 1-3. and three. The Jets getting their first win on a... I think it was an overtime... An overtime missed field goal. They had hit a field goal in overtime. And then the Titans missed. So the Jets get their first win of the season. Um, Matt Ryan and the Falcons have had a pretty good start to their season offensively. Defensively, it's kind of been another story. Uh, but both teams at 1-3, and three, this game being played in London at... <laughs> This game being played in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So that will be um, an interesting venue to watch. So if you're up early, 930 NFL Network, Jets and Falcons. Um, I like the Jets to win this game. I honestly do. I think that uh, Zach Wilson has his best game as a pro. And I think the Jets uh, score a good amount of points on the Falcons this week. Um, Packers and the Bengals will play at 1 o'clock on Fox in Cincinnati. Both of these teams 3-1. and one. Cincinnati has been very impressive this season. Joe Burrow um, has picked up right where he left off uh, before his injury last season, and the Bengals are looking like a really, really solid offensive team. Uh, Joe Mixon in the backfield. you got Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd as receivers. You know, I think you're going to see a very good game. Um, I think this is going to be a measuring stick type game for Cincinnati. See where they really are at against the Packers, who... Did not have their best offensive game last week against the Steelers, um, but they were able to win. And I think this is a team that's kind of catching their tempo offensively. They did also sign uh, Jalen Smith to a contract. I think it was maybe last night, maybe today. He was released by the Cowboys. So the Packers get him into the fold on defense as they, I think, had lost Zaire Smith to a season-ending injury, either him or Preston Smith. I can't remember. Uh, but one of those two is out for the season, so they get Jalen Smith in the fold. be interesting to see if he plays the, um, on Sunday afternoon. But I think you're going to see a great quarterback matchup. Rodgers against Joe Burrow, you know, the old veteran against one of the best up-and-coming quarterbacks in the league. I think the Packers win, but I think a lot of us come away from this game saying that, you know, Joe Burrow has really uh, found his groove in the NFL. So looking forward to that game. The Lions at 0-4 and, and the Vikings at 1-3. and 3. This game in Minnesota at 1 o'clock on Sunday. Um, Detroit has been interesting. They're a team that has not played too terribly offensively, but defensively they just really can't stop anyone. Um, Minnesota's has Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. Both guys have been off to great starts, but the Vikings also having a lot of trouble on defense. Um, but I think the Vikings take care of business in this one and jump to 2-3 and three and the Lions fall to 0-5. Oh and five. And you have Denver against Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, the Steelers um, coming off a loss to the Packers, sitting at 1-3. and three. And uh, Ben Roethlisberger's had a very tough start to the season. Um, leading a, There's just a lot of questions around surrounding this team, and it does not make matters better that they go and face the Denver Broncos, who have been a very, very good defensive team this season. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater did get hurt in their last game. So possibility that he plays or doesn't play, or 
there's a possibility that he doesn't play, but I think that uh, the Steelers are going to be in for another rude awakening against a good defense. Um, but if Bridgewater can't go, I have a hard time believing the Broncos are going to be able to score enough uh, to beat the Steelers. And I think if that's the case, the Steelers might be able to score a defensive touchdown. Um, so I like the Steelers to win, but I think this is going to be a low-scoring, close game, possibly like 17-14, to 14, but I do like the Steelers. The Dolphins will visit the Buccaneers as they will travel to Tampa Bay. Dolphins at 1-3. and three. Two attack of Iloa still hurt, I believe. And Tampa Bay obviously coming off a win against the Patriots, but they really did not look their best. And I think that that's now two straight weeks for Tampa Bay that they've not really looked great offensively. But I think that that comes to a stop on Sunday. I think that they crush the Dolphins. I think Tom Brady's good for four touchdowns, maybe five. Um, I don't see the Dolphins having any chance in this game. Uh, the Saints will play against the Washington football team, both teams at 2-2. Two and two. Be curious to see what type of Jameis Winston you see in this game. Taylor Heineke has been very good for Washington in the early part of their season. Terry McLaurin has also been a fantastic receiver for them. Um, so I think the Saints win on the road, but I think that this is going to be another um, good close game. The Eagles will face the Panthers. The Eagles hung with uh, the Chiefs for a good portion of last Sunday's game, but they will travel to Charlotte, who is three. Or they will travel to Charlotte to play the Panthers, who are three and one, coming off a loss against the Cowboys, in which maybe their defense got exposed a little bit. Um, Carolina is missing a number of key defensive players as well, you know, which is part of the reason why they traded for Gilmore. Um, but they're going to have their hands full with Jalen Hurts and this Eagles offense that uh, I thought had a pretty good week against Kansas City. They just weren't able to get any stops. Um, don't believe Christian McCaffrey will play in this game, but obviously pay attention to that. I think this is going to be a close game, um, but I like the Eagles on the road in this one. Then the Titans and the Jags will play at 1 o'clock. This is an NFC, AFC South game. Uh, the Titans really have not looked super impressive. Um, obviously, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown have been in and out of the lineup. But I do like them to win on the road in Jacksonville. Jacksonville's been a disaster. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence, I think, played a little bit better in their game last week against Cincinnati. Um, James Robinson, I think, has found his footing. But just this organization and that team, it's just, it's very hard to take them seriously. Um just based on some of the actions by Urban Meyer. You know, I really don't want to get into it. You guys can look it up yourself, but it's just like, it's one of those things that is exactly the reason why I didn't think it was a good hire that the Jaguars made to bring in Urban Meyer. And respect to him, he was a tremendous football coach in college, you know, did very good jobs in very different places, Ohio State, Florida, Utah, to name a few, but I just, in my opinion, he's just not an NFL head coach, and I think you're clearly seeing that he just can't really handle it, um, you know, just making a lot of questionable decisions, so um, it's just uh, not great for Jacksonville, you know, a situation that a, a team and an organization that really has never been anything to write home about over the last couple of years, and it's just kind of is getting, going from bad to worse in that situation. 
the Bears and the Raiders will play at 4 o'clock. This will be an intriguing game. Justin Fields was just recently named the starter on the a Bears team that has been pretty up and down. And then you have the Raiders who suffered their first loss of the season against the Chargers. But I think that they bounce back um, in this game. I think Justin Fields has a good game, but I think the Raiders do win um, and improve to 4-1. and one. Then you have the very same Chargers playing against the Cleveland Browns at 4.05. Uh, both teams at 3-1. and one. You know, Cleveland's been a solid team. They've not really blown anyone away. Um, the Chargers have been very impressive. Very impressive. Justin Herbert's been very strong. That offense has been um, humming along. I think you see a really good game in this one, but I think the Chargers win. Then you have the Giants and the Cowboys. Uh, the Giants getting their first win of the season in overtime last week. Uh, Dallas with an impressive offensive performance against Carolina, although they did kind of have to hold them off late in the game. Um, I do expect Dallas to win, but I think the Giants have a good offensive game and uh, make this make this competitive. Cardinals and the 49ers will play. Cardinals, obviously, the only undefeated team in the league right now at 4-0. Uh, Kyler Murray obviously playing at an MVP level. A.J. Green is turning back the clock. Um, the 49ers have been pretty impressive offensively. Leave a little bit to be desired defensively, but I think you're going to see a good game. I think the 49ers get the win on the road. As... Jimmy Garoppolo makes some big plays late in the game, so I do like the 49ers. In this one, and then the Sunday night game, the Buffalo Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs, rematch of the AFC Championship game from last year. The Chiefs, you know, still are a team that I think leave a lot to be desired defensively. Mahomes obviously has been off to a good start. I think Josh Allen has rebounded for Buffalo, so both of these teams, I think, headed in the right direction. I think Buffalo wins on the road. I think they do. I think Josh Allen has a really good game, and I think the Chiefs um, just are struggling to stop anyone. Um, you know, you can see that the Eagles did a pretty good job, you know, moving the ball. Their problem was they couldn't punch it in in the red zone. I think that's really going to be the key in this game for the Bills that they have to score touchdowns when they get down into the red zone. But I think you have a quarterback in Josh Allen that I think has found his groove over the last couple games. So I expect the Bills to win this game, but it's going to be very close. Pretty hard to count out any Patrick Mahomes team. Um, and then the Monday night game, the Ravens at 3-1, and one, the Colts getting their first win of the season last week. So I think this will be a close game, but I think the Ravens win. Um, you know, the Colts have been pretty disappointing this season despite their win last week. Um, so I think they very desperately need this game, but I think the Ravens have good, a good win after playing, you know, decent football in the Denver game last week, didn't play their best, but I do expect them to win. So we'll take a look around other kind of NFL news and notes before we move on. Uh, it was reported earlier today that Baker Mayfield has 
um, a partially torn labrum in his left shoulder. So um, not really sure what that means. You know, I think it's, you know, something curious and something that he'll probably play through, but that's something to monitor as the season goes further along. Um, the television ratings uh, have reached highs not seen since 2015 through the first four weeks. Um, obviously, Justin Fields, the new Bears starting quarterback, um, and the Packers and Jalen Smith agreeing to a deal. The Cowboys released him a few days ago. Um, I did also totally blank on the Patriots signing uh, Jamie Collins. So uh, the Patriots bring him back. He was released by the Lions a couple of days ago. So he comes in um, and just will kind of make that linebacking group a lot stronger. And I think will just be a guy that can do anything, can really do anything, can drop back in coverage, can rush the quarterback and help in that, you know, help in the run stopping, you know, with his tackling. Um, it is, you know, curious that he just has never made it work in other places, you know, Cleveland and now Detroit. But I think Patriots fans should be happy to have him back. You know, obviously is a great athletic linebacker that I think can help the Patriots in really any, really in any situation. And I think also the way the defense has played over the over the first four weeks. I think that, yes, you know, the Saints game, definitely they did not play their best. But I think for the most part, you've seen a defense that's been pretty solid. You know, against the run, they've had their issues, you know, which is a little concerning, just considering the Patriots kind of spent a good amount of, of money and kind of draft capital on guys that were supposed to, you know, help, help, you know, stop the run. So, you know, we'll see how that continues to go. But I think adding Collins to an already strong defense, I think, is going to help you mitigate the loss of, of Gilmore. Um, I think they played decently well without him, you know, the first couple of weeks. So that will be something interesting to monitor as the Patriots uh, face the Texans on Sunday. Unclear about whether Collins will play. I would assume that he would, um, as he's someone that, you know, knows the organization, knows the team pretty well. And you know, probably understands his role, assuming that it's a similar role that he's had in the past. So he'll be able to help the Patriots going forward. So that probably does it for our um, NFL thoughts. We'll move on talking about the Bruins at their final preseason game last night, an overtime loss to the Washington Capitals. Uh, Bruins have had overtime losses in their last two games. Um, their final preseason game, obviously, last night at the Garden. Charlie Coyle making his preseason debut in the game. Or, actually, it's three. it was three straight overtime, overtime losses the Bruins have had. Um, not a lot of success in preseason overtime, unfortunately. But, you know, hey, it's three on three. It's the preseason. It's, you know, you're testing a lot of things out. You know, last night, really, for the first time, the Bruins threw out what you would kind of think will be their projected starting lineup. We'll talk about, or I will talk about my projected lineup in a little bit. It's probably going to be very similar. But um, I just think the Bruins, at times, looked like a well-oiled machine in the preseason. And yes, it's the preseason. I know that we shouldn't get super excited or, you know, super let down, you know, either way. But I think that 
you've seen the team that I think has come in and has been focused. You know, you you saw in that game against the Rangers on Saturday. You saw in bits last night. You know, the Bruins really seem to be ready for the season. The penalty killing, I thought, was really solid last night. Sure, the Capitals scored maybe one or two power play goals, but I thought the penalty kill was very solid. Obviously, you got some good play from Charlie Coyle. You know, that second line looked to be really, really solid last night. Um, And I think that you're seeing a player in Taylor Hall who I think is going to have a monster season. You know, I think the Bruins have been putting him on that first power play unit. And if that's the case and he stays there, my goodness, he's going to put up a lot of points. Um, The Bruins have been rolling out the top line, uh, Hall and McAvoy, on that first unit, which I think is great. I think that it really encourages Charlie McAvoy to take more of a a role in the power play and be kind of more of a – have more of an emphasis on his offensive game, which I think is important because I think clearly his defensive instincts, his way that he plays defense, there's really – not much that he can do, that he can't do defensively. And I think the Bruins want to try to tap into more of his offensive game. So I think that that's good to see that he's getting reps at that first power play unit. I know that there are some people that like Grizzlick up there, but I think for the Bruins, I think it's more important that you try to tap into McAvoy's offensive game to make him more of a dynamic player. Um, And then as far as the second unit, you know, Grizzlick's been out there with uh, Jake DeBrusque, Halla, Felino, and Craig Smith. Um, be interesting to see if that changes at any point or if any of the units change at any point. But, you know, I think that the Bruins have done a good job in the preseason testing certain things out. You know, pairings that probably are going to be what the Bruins roll with, you know, penalty killing pairs, things like that, I think have been pretty solid. You know, you've had good. Solid goaltending play from Jeremy Swayman. I think that Linus Olmark has been has been all right. You know, I think you look at some of the goals that had, that went in last night. Not totally all his fault. You know, I think that he will be a goalie that I think will be solid um, in the long run. Be very curious to see what the Bruins look to do with the goaltending position in the first half of the season. You know, how they split the net. You know, are they going to kind of go one for one, you know, is Olmark going to play 75% of the starts? Is he going to play like 60%? You know, what are the, what's the breakdown with that? I'm very curious to see, you know, and then it'll get interesting once Rask comes back, you know, if that does happen um, and the Bruins do, you know, sign him for the rest of the season, whenever that is, um, be very curious. But I think you're seeing a Bruins team that has played with urgency. They've played well. I think that the new guys have looked very comfortable, and I think that what's great about these new guys in, in Forbert, Felino, and Halla, respectively, is that they're all veteran guys, and they understand what it takes to play at the NHL level, you know, what it takes to compete, and things like that. And I think that it's very important that you get, you know, off-season pieces that come right in and just gel right away, and I think that you've seen that already. Um, and so I think... It'd be good for the Bruins. Bruins have a 10-day break before their first regular season game against the Dallas Stars next Saturday. Um, so I think that it'll be a good break. Bruins will send some send some guys down to Providence to get down to uh, the 23-man roster. Um, 
And I think one of the players that has uh, sparked a lively debate over the last couple of days on Bruins Twitter um, has been Jack Sidnika, who has had a really impressive preseason. You know, I think that he has, obviously, a lot has been said about him coming to camp, gaining that weight and kind of being a more, not being a more physical player, but being a player that I think won't get pushed around. And I think that it's good to see him come in and kind of have that mentality of, okay, I need to get stronger. I need to better my game. And he's really done everything that they've asked him to do in the preseason. And he's looked really good. You know, he's had plenty of good games where he's played with, um, you know, the second line, played a game, a couple games with Fabian Lysel, um, the Bruins first round pick in the draft. And, you know, looking at how well those two played together, you know, gave you a little bit of a, a look into the future that, okay, this is maybe what the Bruins' top line might look like in three years. So I think it definitely was, you know, exciting to see and just good to see that Jack has played really well in the preseason. And part of the problem here is that the Bruins are a little too deep in terms of their centers. And, you know, that really is the position that the Bruins wants Stanika to be at. Um, but I think that looking at this roster right now, it's hard to say where he really fits in. Um, because I think, as the Bruins have said, Charlie Coyle is going to get those first reps at second line center. And that might frustrate some people, but I think at the same time, you got to at least try it um, and see what it looks like. And I think that, yes, Coyle does play a no, a particularly more different plays it plays a different way than David Krejci does, and I think that it will be interesting to see how Taylor Hall, Craig Smith play with him. They seemed to look pretty good last night, although it was one game. You know, with Coyle did get on the score sheet, made a couple of nice plays, had a goal and an assist in the game last night. But it's one game, you know, and I think that it will be curious to see what goes on the first fifteen twenty games of the season. Um, with him on that second line. So I think that it's it's the right move to have him be on that second line centering uh, Coyle and, and Hall. Um, I think that, you know, having the third line of Hall, DeBrusque, and Felino is a good setup because I think it's good for a player like Jake DeBrusque and, you know, gives the Bruins more a more versatile look, you know, with two guys on that line that can play center or wing. Um and so I think really the problem with Stadnika is, you know, he's played so well. And, you know, I think that you don't want to send him down to Providence because you don't want it to seem like it's a demotion. But on the other hand, I really think if, if there becomes a choice between, okay, do you want Jack Stadnika competing for playing time on the fourth line? Or playing in Providence, I think you'd rather have him play in Providence. I don't really think anyone wants to see him, you know, playing fourth line minutes and doing things that are not really pertinent to his game. You know, you want to see him getting ice time with the good, talented players. And, you know, does that come at some point this season? Sure. You know, I think that it's possible if there's an injury or, you know, someone does not work out well at a certain position or, someone gets traded or something like that. But I think, unfortunately, the signs are pointing to him starting the season in Providence, which is really too bad. Um, but I just think that it's going to be the better move for the Bruins. And sure, could the Bruins shuffle around the lineup at a certain point? 
you know, could the Bruins play Eric Holler or Nick Foligno on the fourth line? Could they do something like that at a later point in the season? Absolutely. You know, I think that you're going to see Studnika in the Bruins lineup and being a regular fixture, you know, before the regular season is over. Like, I think there's a good chance late in the season you see him centering that third line or possibly even the second line, you know, coil doesn't work out. Um, but I think he really should kind of be their first call up, you know, if they need a forward that gets called up. So I think that he, he's played great in the preseason and that's good to see. And it's good to see that he's had the attitude that he wants to come in and play with urgency and get better and get bigger and, you know, be ready to be a regular NHL player. So I think that, yes, unfortunately, he personally may not be able to start the season in Boston like he would like, but I think that there's still some positives that can that, that can come out of this. Um, and being having, having depth at center is never a bad thing, and the Bruins really seem to have plenty of it, so that's you know, also another positive. So if we look at what the lineup will likely look like on opening night, you know, I think that you're seeing that top line will we'll be together again. I think really no one would have any any issues with that. Um, and I think now with Krejci gone, it really doesn't make sense to mess around with putting Pasternak on the second line. I know I've always been a person that would, would have wanted to see that more, but I think that you know Pasternak's game probably does not fit super well with Charlie Coyle. Um, but you could see that, I guess, maybe at, at certain points of the season, you know if they double shift Pasternak at certain points. Um, then the second line, you know, I think you're going to see Taylor Hall, Coyle, and Smith. I think I think Taylor Hall, um, have him, having him play on that first power play unit and being on the second line, I think he is going to be in store for a huge season. Um, I think you might see 80 points out of him, which I know is kind of crazy to say, but I wouldn't be surprised if he lights it up this season. Um, and then on the third line, you're probably going to see DeBrusque Hala and Felino. I think Hala will start the year as the center. Uh, but the great thing about Felino and Hala is either of them are pretty solid at the center position. So the Bruins should be pretty good in terms of what they can do on the faceoffs, but also what they can do with kind of their just kind of shuffling things up. You know, if they want to try either of those guys on any of the the top three lines or possibly on the fourth line. And I also think, you know, Jake DeBrusque is someone that is going to benefit from having two vets on his line. Um, and then the fourth line, you know, there's, I think there's been some conversation about it. Um, I don't think Trent Frederick has looked particularly good in the preseason. Um, Capitals scored, scored a goal last night in which, you know, Kuznetsov gets to the front of the net and no one challenges him. And, Frederick, to me, has had a hard time moving his feet um, for the for the majority of this preseason. So I don't really think he should be in the lineup. But at the same time, I think the Bruins are going to be most effective with Thomas Nosek at center on the fourth line and, you know, probably Frederick on the left wing um, and Lazar on the right wing. I think that Nosek is a better center than Lazar. You know, it could get mixed around. You know, you could see... The Bruins throw in Chris Wagner on that fourth line also. Um, I just don't really see it right now with, with Trent Frederick. And I understand that, yes, 
he plays with a lot of urgency and can kind of get in people's faces, but you've got to be able to bring more to the table than just that. So I think it's important for him to kind of get off to a good start this season if he does end up kind of being in that opening night lineup and in the lineup regularly on the fourth line. You have to show that you can do more than just being, you know, an agitator. You have to be a player that's going to give consistent effort and do do the right things consistently. So um, I think that that will be your probably what your fourth line looks like. Frederick, Lazar, and Nosek, and then Chris Wagner probably will be that the 13th forward, if you will. And then defensively, I think the Bruins are going to carry eight defensemen. I think that that's you know, historically what they've done. McAvoy and Forbert playing in that first pair I think makes a lot of sense. I think Charlie playing with a good, solid kind of not... Forbert's not exactly a stay-at-home guy. Like, I think Carlo is much more of a stay-at-home guy. But I think that McAvoy playing with a defensive-minded player in Forbert is going to make that first pair a lot better defensively. Um, and I think is going to make it difficult to play against in their own zone. So I do like that pairing. I love the pairing of Carlo and Riley. I mean, I think it's a perfect match. You know, Carlo's a guy that's a stay-at-home guy, big and physical, but can jump in offensively when he can't when when he needs to. And Mike Riley just has been a tremendous puck mover, um, always getting shots to the goal. You know, I think that that's one of the things that you've noticed ever since he came here from Ottawa at the trade deadline last year. That He's an offensive-minded guy, doesn't mind going forward to the goal line, and always kind of has that moving forward mentality, which I think plays really well with Brandon Carlo. Um, and then the third pair, I think you're going to see Grizzlick and Clifton. Um, you know, Grizzlick, I think, is really an excellent third pair guy to have. And I know that there are a lot of people that think he should be kind of a number one defenseman, or on the number one pair, I should say, but... I do think that this is a good spot for him with with Clifton. Um, Gives you a little bit more of kind of an offensive look in terms of, you know, if you had Clifton playing with Forbert, you're not really doing a lot offensively. I think Grizzlick's a guy that has not an offensive first mindset, but moves the puck really, really well. And you have Clifton's a guy who's not afraid to jump into the play, but also not afraid to throw his body around. So I think that you have three pairs that are guys that I think are going to play really well off of each other. And then in terms of the extra D, I think that you're probably going to see John Moore and Jakob Zaborl being those seventh and eighth guys. Um, They are both left shots. The Bruins really don't have a lot of right shot depth. Um, But I think that's part of the reason why they signed someone like Tyler Lewington and why they also have a guy like Brady Lyle um, in the organization. So it's possible that... Those guys might see some ice time at, at points this season, but I think Moore is a good skater. Um, you know, Zaboral I think, had a kind of a sneaky good sneaky good first uh, season or rookie season last year, if you will. So I think you know he's in line to improve a little bit more um, this season as well. So that's probably what you're going to get for defense, and then goalies. You know, Swayman, Olmark, and then you know, possibly Rask, you know, we'll see what, what happens there. So Bruins will start their season next Saturday against the Dallas Stars, October 16th at the Garden. The Bruins will play, will play seven games in the first month of the season. And four of them are on the road. 
Bruins will be back in the Atlantic Division. So that will be... Uh, I kind of give them a different look than they had last season. Obviously, they didn't play the Canadian teams, but the Bruins will play Philadelphia um, their second game of the season, and then they will play Florida uh, twice in the first month. So the Bruins will get some division opponents um, in the first couple weeks of the season. So Bruins will host the Dallas Stars October 16th. At, almost said at Fenway at the Garden. Um, so we'll take a look at some notes from around the NHL. Um, Brady Kachuk may not start the season with the Senators. It sounds like he has had some contract... Uh, so contract stallings as he is a unrestricted or a restricted free agent, I should say. Um, so they're kind of having some issues there in terms of getting him signed. Um, I think Ottawa did also just lose uh, Colin White to an injury for a couple months. So uh, not off to a good start in Ottawa as the season, honestly, has not even, even started. Um, Alex Galchenyuk signing a one-year deal with Arizona. Curtis McElhenney retiring after 13 seasons. Um, and then you have a couple of Olympic teams that announced their uh, first three names for the Olympic roster. Um, I think Canada had selected, I believe it was Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, and uh, Connor McDavid, I believe. And then Sweden also just announced that their first three names are... Mika Zibanejad, Victor Hedman, and Gabriel Landeskog. And Team USA did just announce their first three names earlier um, with Patrick Kane, Seth Jones, and Austin Matthews. And then the three submitted by the Czech Republic, David Pasternak, Andre Palat, and Jakob Voracek. Um, and then for Finland, Sebastian Ajo, Miko Rantanen, and Sasha Barkov. Um, so you're going to have some really good rosters um, with Sweden and Finland specifically. I think you're going to have some really good hockey um, at the Olympics. So very much looking forward to that. Um, also, it was announced that Carey Price will enter the NHL, NHLPA player assistance program as he has gone through um an illness or a non-COVID-19 illness that has kept him off the ice the past few days. Uh, Carey Price was also coming back from knee surgery this offseason. So um, I think good for Carey to take some steps like that. You know, I always respect an athlete that is willing to kind of take more time with, you know, putting your mental health first. And I think that that's, you know, something that I think I've talked about plenty of times in this podcast that it's very important that, you know, athletes feel comfortable putting themselves first and, you know, realizing that, yes, your mental health is very important, you know, that at certain moments, it's more important than your physical health. And I think that that kind of goes for, for everyone, you know, not just athletes, that I think it's important that we all realize that mental health is very important and, you know, I've said that plenty of times on this podcast. I've said it plenty of times on, on uh, Breath of Fresh Life, too. So um, 
they think it's it's good for him. You know, Carey's been a a goalie that's been you know one of the one of the best, if not the best, of this generation. Um, and so you know, wish him wish him the best going forward. Um, so I think that probably does it for NHL. So uh, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Sean Montgomery. And what's up, everyone? We're back talking with a uh, special guest this week, uh, my good buddy, Sean Montgomery. Uh, Sean, what's up, man? How's it going? Uh, how's you doing? Uh, nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's good. It's good to good to get you on on camera, I guess. I mean, the, the, listener, the listeners won't see you on camera, but... Um, yeah, it's good to talk to you, man. Uh, so, Sean is a... Uh, forward for Suffolk University hockey team um, and you guys have your season starting very soon yeah I think um, October 16th is our first game we've got, okay. uh, we're playing Babson so a couple more days yeah know. yeah um, so uh, Sean and I've been friends for a while and um, you know it's interesting when I talk to one of our friends, Trenton Wright, a couple weeks ago when we did our, our football interview, um, I talked with him about how um, sometimes when someone plays a sport and it's something that they're kind of known for, it's like something you identify with a person. So um, ever since I've known you, you've been like a big hockey person. You're the hockey person that like sure. obviously we love talking shop about the Bruins and the NHL and stuff like that. Um but, you know, hockey is a game where you have played for a really long time. So I guess just to start, I'd be curious to ask you about what your hockey journey has been like from, you know, when you started, you know, at, at whatever age to, you know, playing in juniors and now playing playing for Suffolk. Yeah, so um, like you said, I've played hockey for a really long time now. Um, I started when I was five and like a little bit of context, I'm 24, so... Mm-hmm. It's a good amount of years uh, yeah. under the belt right there. And, no, I, I played youth hockey around Massachusetts growing up. Um, pretty standard of, of mass kids playing, like, this league called the EHF. I don't even know if they have it anymore, but a lot of kids um, played in that growing up and then moved on to, uh, you know, higher. I went to Severian Brothers, uh, played hockey there, for, and then transferred my sophomore year. Um in high school to, uh, back to Natick High School, from which is the town I live in. Um, and there I played for Boston Advantage, which is a youth, one of the youth teams uh, I grew up playing for. They had, like, skills and stuff, uh, so I knew the coaches pretty well. Played Advantage for four years, um, and then, yeah, moved on to juniors, and, and uh, that was a ride for sure. Played for a couple teams. Um, I played for the Junior Bruins out of Marlboro, Mass., uh, for like almost three-fourths of a year, and then right at the trade deadline, got traded to Philly, mm-hmm. Philadelphia Flyers. Um, and this is like the USPHL Hockey League. Yeah. Uh, so this was the top league at the time. Got traded there. Um, first experience, like, living away from home and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty pretty wild. Uh, lived with, like, a billet family. Um, I only played, like, I think it was, like, 12 games there, so a pretty short stint. And then I came back home and played... Uh, my age out year, my final year of juniors in the North American Hockey League for for the Northeast Generals, mm-hmm. and uh, that was probably one of the most fun years I've had in hockey. Really good way to send off my junior career before attending and then 
after that, I went to Suffolk. So. Yeah. So, obviously, um, last season was very challenging. You know, you guys played in a couple of games. Yeah. Um, just um, how challenging was that last year, just only playing in two games and, you know, not really feeling like you got much of a footing? Yeah, so, I mean, last year, I feel like for all of us, uh, like, during the pandemic was challenging. Absolutely. Different roadblocks um, along the way. I thought our team handled it pretty well. Um, we were supposed to play 10 games. We ended up playing two. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because uh, there's a lot of, like, back and forth of, we, I think, the, we missed two weekends, so that's four games right there, because the other team had covid and then we played one game. That team tested positive the next day. Mm. Our game gets canceled for the following day. Uh, and then we're out for like 10 more days. Played another game like after only we were out. We could. So when, when um, if you played a team that tested positive or you had someone that tested positive on your team, you weren't allowed to like go to the rink, skate, like regardless of if you had tested negative. So it was mm-hmm. basically like you were in quarantine. So yeah. that, that's how they... That's how it was treated. We were all, all online classes, so those were definitely some brutal days when yep. uh, we couldn't go to the rink. That was kind of like our escape for the year. Uh, but but yeah, no, it was tough. And then uh, we finally got yeah, we played. Uh, we had like practice for three days, and then had to play Curry College, uh, and that was really rough. Like that was going from ten days of not skating yeah. to three days of like. I think we tried to do. I think we probably got in in total like five hours of ice time for that game so for people that aren't very familiar with hockey or especially collegiate hockey like five hours preparation for a game on the ice is is not a lot and uh we had to play them uh i thought we did pretty well we lost five to two with an empty net um but yeah no it was challenging for sure like we definitely had had our battles i'm excited that our season now is going to be should be full length yeah Everything goes to plan, so sure. yeah, I'm definitely excited about this season for sure. So, you know, talking about this season, you know, considering the fact that you guys only played two games last year, does that make this season that much more meaningful? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I feel like the games last year were definitely a, a way different, um, I don't know, it was diff- different pace and kind of the first game we played, it was like the first period, it was like, you know, you let a wild animal out of a, out of a cage. And it was yeah. like the two teams. I think there was 15 penalties uh, between the two teams in the first period. So it was like all special teams because people were just like really amped up to to get out there and go playing. So flying around, big hits, like all that stuff. Um, so I mean, the games were definitely a little bit different than the style that I was used to. So this year, especially being my senior year, it's like. I'm very, I'm very happy my senior year wasn't last year, and it's this year, and I can go off on a, on a full game, uh, full season, uh, hopefully mm-hmm. playoffs as well. Yeah. Uh, hopes for that. So, yeah, no, I'm so, I'm so pumped for the season. Can't, can't get started soon enough. Good, yeah, that will be, that will be awesome. Um, yeah, sure. So, you've been at Suffolk for a few seasons now. Yeah. So, after, like, after your arrival at Suffolk, what do you think – is something you feel like you've improved upon in your game specifically since arriving? So I think, like, my style as a hockey player, especially growing up, so I'm a forward. Um, I played wing growing up, so left wing uh, was mainly what I played. Um, definitely an offensive, 
minded hockey player. And as I've gotten older, uh, juniors, I kind of had to, I was, uh, my age out here is fourth line center. So that's a definitely a very defensive, heavy, responsible role. So really right. different than what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of, like, the whole reason I had to do that was to stay in the lineup. So it was like, right. you know, learning to block shots, play, play in the D zone, uh, be responsible there. Like just little, little things that, um, that, you know, don't show up on the score sheet, mm-hmm. uh, things that I wasn't used to doing at a lot and so I think I transitioned that to here at Suffolk where I, I definitely have a larger offensive role than I did in juniors but okay. um, I think just like every single year I've improved on my defensive game which is maybe a, well, just a well way more well-rounded hockey player before I was definitely like a liability in the defensive <laughs> zone and you know my friends still joke around and they still say like you know I told you I get the blue line and whatnot some things that coaches hate but um, but uh, definitely definitely have improved on my defensive game for sure gotcha that's good that's funny yeah. um uh, right now do you do you model your game after any current nhl players or any retired players yeah so i mean for for local guys i think that like this comparison is like a, i mean this is like in my humble opinion okay <laughs> like, yeah. i think i like to model my game after brad marshall okay uh, yeah you know, I, I was smaller before. I think my game was a little bit more like his when I was around, mm-hmm. like, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. Um, a little bit smaller, definitely like a pest, um, you know, chirping on the ice and stuff, but also had, you know, that offensive ability mm-hmm. to score and create plays. And I think I've kind of gone into more of, like, a – I think I've transitioned out of that because, I mean, Brad Marshall's also gotten really great in the defensive zone over the years as well. Absolutely. And, and he's a winger too. Um, I've bounced back from like center to wing, but mm-hmm. like I feel like when I'm playing wing, I want to play like Brad Marchand. That yeah. center, like I mean, like Elias Patterson or something like that, is is who I try to. Someone who's really great, like two way centerman. Like yeah. especially when I'm playing center, I want to be great mm-hmm. in the defensive zone, facilitate the puck, move the puck up, and, and be someone that like you know starts transitions and, sure. and breaks out from defensive to offensive. Yeah. So, so yeah. Those two guys in my yeah. <laughs> in my humble opinion. I don't know how well it, what, it translates to the ice. I don't know if that's exactly what it might look like, but yeah, def- definitely those two guys. That's all right. We can just let the record show that you play like yeah. Brad Marchand. <laughs> exactly. Um, what uh, what is something you want to try to improve upon for this season for your senior season? Um, so I mean, I say this every year. This is something that I just really, really have to work on, um, and it's something that doesn't come naturally to me mm-hmm. is like a shoot first mentality or even just a shoot mentality i okay i'm someone that really likes to distribute the puck and uh, i usually make a lot of extra passes and i think sometimes you know that extra pass can work and i, mm-hmm. I think uh there's a lot of nice plays a lot of nice assists that i have um but especially this year i definitely want to step into a role of more you know a more balanced score sheet for myself so you know like similar goals to assist where Mm. usually I have like very minimum amount of goals and a lot more assists and I think like you know just being being someone that that when I'm in a scoring opportunity I make sure that I shoot the puck Mm -hmm. because I I have a decent shot I should I should shoot more so yeah my dad's been telling me to shoot more since I was five years old but for some reason I always want to sauce a puck over yeah yeah so um for for you guys this season for Suffolk what what what's the feeling around the team for for this season? I mean, the feeling's been good. Like we've we've come in and and even our captains' practices have been so. Our, like for 
I don't know for the Division One level when when coaches are allowed to come onto the ice or when when they're allowed to like you know speak with the players. But in the D three level, I believe today was our first day that our coach was allowed to like group get us together as a group hmm. and talk to us. Yeah. So we went over like some film from last year and the year before um, today, and then the first time he can get on the ice with us is next Monday. Uh, so. But, like, captain's practice has been, like, awesome. Great pace. Like, kids are, are – I think everyone's just really excited to get back on the ice and have a full season. And, you know, people are buying in already, which is which is great. We have a – I think we have, like, eight new eight freshmen this year on okay. our team. So, a decent class mm-hmm. um, of freshmen coming in. And I, it's definitely, like, a happy, you know, jipper feeling going on in the locker room. Yeah. All the boys are, back, like, glad to be back together. Like, we don't have to skate in pods or different right you know we're all on the ice all back in the locker room together so everyone's definitely very excited very excited good that's good that's awesome yeah um so one kind of last question if you will um hockey i feel like is a game that is different than other sports in the way that you know it kind of sticks with you and you kind of can keep playing even after maybe you're done playing competitively you know there are all kinds of leagues that you can play in what it, what is it about the game that like makes it something that kind of sticks with you for for so long i mean that's that's a really good question because i don't know i feel like growing up like i played other sports i played baseball up until ninth grade and then lacrosse in high school so um i don't know i just always loved hockey way more than any other sport hmm. and it's funny because there's a lot of kids that I grew up with that were a lot better at another sport, but they was like, just like hockey was the sport they wanted to play. And yeah. I don't know. I think it's just like hockey's such a, it's like the, the pinnacle of team sport. I feel like in my opinion where, you know, people are on the ice for such a short amount of time and everyone's used during a game. Like it, I feel like when you watch a soccer game, uh, like, they don't, I think professionals are allowed like three subs a game or something like that. Right. So there's a lot of guys that sit on the bench and mm-hmm. you know they don't even touch the field. Whereas hockey, it's like almost everyone's getting on the ice. Everyone's getting ice time. So you have to really rely on your teammates. And mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something just so much fun about being around the boys and just yeah. it's, it's a fast game. It's uh, you know there's a good amount of physicality and skill and finesse in it where you know you can balance it out. I don't know. It's it's just a really really fun sport and something that you can also take like that physicality out of and play in men's league when you get older or something like that and, and somewhere where you can like you know you can continue to play and, and recreationally it's a lot of fun as well. It's different than like I guess football you can't you play like two hand touch but I feel like that takes out you know a lot of the aspects of football and stuff. So yeah. I think it's just a game you can continue until how until you can until you can't skate anymore. Yes. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a funny game how everyone just, when you get the bug, you just get stuck with it for a life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you guys can uh, watch um, Sean's games in, in Charlestown, right? You guys are playing Charlestown. in Charlestown. I'm just in Oregon Arena. Gotcha. Do you guys, yeah. do, does Suffolk stream the games that you know of? So, yeah, we stream the games. I think it's on... Um, Hockey TV, which is like a, a like a website that it's a subscription based website okay. uh, that a lot of teams use. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they have it on there, but a lot of our away games have 
really good streams. Our gotcha. our facility, uh, you know, it's got some grit to it for sure. sure so yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a Charlestown feel for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, any of the the listeners, if you guys want to go check out some of the the Suffolk games or you know catch any of them on on yeah, uh, streaming, on yeah, definitely. Um, well, Sean, thanks for coming on this week. This was a uh, this was really fun. Look Thanks forward, for yeah. Look forward to talking to you possibly again at some point. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll be back with more. Not your average Boston sports podcast. All right. So, would like to say thanks to Sean again for uh, coming on the podcast. as a fun interview. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that. So, um, we will get into talking about the Celtics now. Um, the Celtics had their first preseason game against the Orlando Magic on Monday night. Celtics came away with a win uh, thanks to the second unit uh, playing really well in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Celtics, you know, given some playing time to um, some of the guys that will be, you know, huge, uh, hopefully huge bench players um, during the season. Celtics uh, getting a three-pointer from Romeo Langford in the last minute. Celtics beat the Magic 98-97. just good to see the Celtics back on the court. You know, good to see fans in the arena and, you know, the Celtics getting back to getting back to basketball. You know, I think it was, you know, excellent to see the bench, you know, and yes, the benches are a lot larger. You may have noticed that, you know, the Celtics have, you know, 20 guys on their roster, you know, during the preseason. So, you know, there are plenty of guys on that bench, but it just was good to see the the, the energy from certain guys on that bench who, you know, plenty of those guys, you know, didn't play. But I think it was just good to see the energy that guys really wanted each other to to do well. And don't think it makes a difference whether these guys are going to be on the active roster or not. It just was good to see guys getting excited for each other. Um, you know, Theo Pinson was one of those guys that, you know, seemed to really get into it uh, during this game. He's a guy that I would love to see the Celtics um, you know, bring onto the team, whether it's a two-way contract or, you know, if there's a roster spot, I think he's just a great kind of energy player that may not play many minutes, but is a guy that's going to get everyone on the bench really excited. That's a, what I've always liked about, about him as a player who is not someone that's going to blow you away with doing a lot on the court, but is a guy who's just a great energy person to have on that bench to get guys going. So, the Celtics rolled with, um, you know, four starters that probably are going to start the season as starters: Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams. The Celtics uh, choosing to start Juancho Hernan Gomez, the younger brother of Willie Hernan Gomez, who plays for the Pelicans. Um, so he got the start, scored six points, had four rebounds in just 17 minutes. So the Celtics. I think just testing certain lineups out, I wouldn't expect that Hernan Gomez starts the season in the starting lineup, but I think it's just good to see the Celtics trying out different lineups, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. Um, The Celtics had plenty of minutes to go around on the bench. Dennis Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard, Josh Richardson played plenty of minutes. Neither of them shot particularly well. You know, Pritchard knocked down a couple threes, but um, I would say shooting is not really something you expect from Schroeder and Richardson, you know, I think you want them to be obviously better offensive players, but, you know, I think it's what they can do in terms of, 
setting other guys up. You know, Pritchard had five assists. Schroeder had four assists, three rebounds, two steals. You know, it was going to be a guy who's probably going to do a little bit of everything. You know, got to the free throw line, made four free throws. Schroeder did. Um, Cantor played 10 minutes. Horford played 18 off the bench. Um, and Aaron Neesmith was really solid and made two three-pointers down the stretch, as did Romeo Lankford, both of those guys getting in. Um, Jason Tatum looks awesome. He just he just looks really, really good. It was great to see him, you know, getting some minutes and, you know, showing off some of that strength. You know, it seems like he has gotten he's gotten stronger over the offseason. So it was good to see, you know, him performing well. Jalen Brown came out like a man possessed in that first quarter, um, shot 50% for the game, had 25 points, and was just aggressive the whole game. And I think you want to see him and Jason being aggressive, being the aggressors. You know, when you start games, you want them to start the game on time. You know, that's something that you hear a lot in hockey, that you want your team to start the game on time. And I think that that's something you want to see from Jalen and Jason starting the game and kicking it into high gear right away, playing with urgency. You know, and it could have been Jalen's first time on the court, you know, since his since his wrist injury, um, and he just wanted to come out and play great. But I think that you want to see Jalen and Jason taking that next step this year and having a coaching staff that's going to put them in the best position to succeed. That, okay, we want you guys to go out and attack the basket, get to the free throw line. Um, Jalen attempted six free throws, Tatum five. You want to see those free throw attempts go up this year. And I think that you're going to see big things from them this season. I think it's going to be um, good to see, you know, what they can do with a new season, a new coaching staff. And, you know, yes, some of the, some of the same core is around, but I think you want to see how they do with the new teammates and the new players and, you know, seeing how they, how they interact with them um, on kind of a, honestly a personal level, but like from, from a chemistry standpoint. Um, And you also want to see them, you know, playing well off of each other. You know, the two, the two J's playing off of the other, the, the bench players, you know, players like Cantor, players like uh, Schroeder and, and Richardson, you know, I think that it's going to be a good group this season. I think that one of the things the Celtics have is versatility. They have a lot of versatility, what they can do defensively, especially, but also what they can do offensively. They have a number of guys that, you know, are capable of, putting together good stretches of play, you know, getting good shots, driving to the basket, getting open shots for each other. And I think that's something you're going to see a lot of this season, that you're going to see a team that's going to move the ball and they're really going to be focused on ball movement. And I think that it's something that I think is really going to help this team, you know, further that they're going to be a team that's going to play for each other and play hard and give that effort consistently Um, that you're going to see a lot of guys playing that way. You have a lot of guys on this bench that you've brought in, but also players that have been on your team that hustle hard and are going to play hard. You know, Aaron Neesmith's going to be a guy that's going to be diving for loose balls all over the place. You're going to have Richardson and Schroeder really just being 
you know, hounds defensively and not giving guys an inch. So I think it's going to be an exciting uh, season for the Celtics. I think they're going to be very good. Um, the Celtics will continue their preseason with a game against the Raptors on Saturday night at the Garden. And then the Celtics will have road games against Miami and Orlando again before the season starts October 20th in New York against the Knicks. So be an interesting game. Celtics will reunite with uh, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier. So that being with that being said, on the Celtics, we'll take a look at some notes from around the NBA. Uh, Trevor Ariza has ankle surgery, so he'll be out for a couple months uh, for the Lakers. Um NBA GM survey picking Kevin Durant to win MVP and the Nets to win the title. Um, I'll just be honest. I don't know how that's going to work with Kyrie Irving not playing home games, you know, thanks to his uh, lack of vaccination status or whatever you want to talk about it. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I guess it's a personal decision. I really don't want to get into that on this podcast because this is really not the place for it, but it's just like it's it's pretty hard to pick a team to win a championship when one of their best players possibly won't be available during home games. And, you know, that could end up being a problem for the Nets. And I think, like, it's going to – not that it – I'm not going to say that, oh, it's going to mess up chemistry, that, like, oh, Kevin Durant and James Harden are going to get, you know, angry at Kyrie, but – you know, I think that it, from a continuity standpoint, from a playing standpoint, it's pretty difficult to, you know, have someone in and out of the team, you know, in and out of practices, in and out of games. And yes, Kyrie is one of the most talented players in the league. And maybe you could argue he doesn't need a lot of practice time because he's so talented. But at the same time, like, that's not really sustainable for a season. So I'd be curious to see you know, what ends up happening? Do the Nets think about trading him? Like, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, but I do agree that Kevin Durant definitely is going to come into the season with a lot to prove. So I think that, yes, they're going to be a title contender. But if Kyrie's not available to play in home games, I don't see how they can win a championship. Um, Pau Gasol also announced his retirement the other day, a two-time champion with the Lakers meant a lot to the Lakers, meant a lot to the Memphis Grizzlies, meant a lot to um, the Spanish basketball, the Spanish national basketball team, um, as I think he had won a couple of medals for Spain. Um, so happy trails to, to Pau Gasol, um, who I think played, I'll take a look at how many years he played in the NBA. Um a career that lasted about two decades, um, 41 years old. So definitely a, a household name with the Lakers, you know, helped bring a couple championships to LA. So as we jump into kind of our other stuff, you know, et cetera, as I call it, kind of the other um, sports news, uh, WNBA playoffs in full swing right now. The uh, Chicago Sky knocking off the Connecticut Sun in the semifinals last night. So um, Candace Parker in her, her first season in Chicago, where she's from, leading the Sky to the finals. So they win in four games, uh, 79-69, the final score last night. 
Um, Connecticut Sun obviously had a very, very good season, one of the best or the best record in the WNBA. Jonquil Jones won MVP, but ultimately they were knocked off by Chicago. Um, So Chicago will host or will play in the WNBA finals that is scheduled to start on Sunday afternoon. Um, No games tonight, but the other semifinal series, uh, Phoenix and Las Vegas, a game five a deciding game five will take place tomorrow night at nine in las vegas so winner will play chicago in the finals that start on sunday taking a look at some college football uh take a look at the rankings that were take that were put out last weekend think after the the games last weekend alabama and georgia staying at one and two you have um a big 10 takeover um, in the top 10, as you have uh, four teams from the Big Ten now in the top 10, as Iowa jumps into the third spot, Penn State still at four, Cincinnati to fifth after their win against Notre Dame, Oklahoma stays at six, Ohio State jumping up to seven, um, Oregon down five spots a week. It was after their loss to Stanford. Uh, Michigan is now in the top 10 at nine, and then BYU is at 10. And Michigan State is at 11. So we're talking about the Big Ten having a resurgence season with, um, you know, Ohio State has not been the best. I think that them, like Oklahoma, have not really had the smoothest season so far. Uh, But they've been winning, you know, and I think that that's kind of the important thing. But you have a couple of other Big Ten teams that have been really good to start the season, Iowa and Penn State. Obviously, and then Michigan has had a kind of a quiet under the radar type season um, as they've started five and zero, and then you have Michigan State, who's surprisingly five and zero as well, and eleven right outside of the top ten. So, uh, taking a look at some key games this weekend: uh, the Red River rivalry, Oklahoma and Texas, will get renewed on Saturday afternoon at noon. Oklahoma 6th ranked, and then Texas is 21st. Um, we got an SEC showdown at noon on ESPN. Arkansas 13th ranked against Ole Miss 17th ranked, who uh, got their doors blown off by Alabama last week. But, hey, that's almost everyone that plays Alabama, so not really a lot to be upset about if you're an Ole Miss fan. But they will play Arkansas coming off a, a humbling loss against Georgia last week. Um Speaking of, Georgia will go to Auburn this afternoon or Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Georgia second, Auburn is 18th. They've kind of had an interesting uh, resurgence season, so to speak. Their only loss was a road loss at Penn State. And speaking of Penn State, this is the game of the weekend. Penn State traveling to Iowa, fourth ranked against third ranked Saturday at 4 o'clock. It's going to be an awesome game. It's just going to be uh definitely going to be a lot of fun to watch and then just some later games 14th ranked Notre Dame travels to Virginia Tech and then you have LSU traveling to 16th ranked Arkansas those both of those games are at 7:30 um and then you have top ranked Alabama playing at Texas A&M at 8 o'clock on Saturday so you have plenty of college football action this weekend so before we go uh, we'll talk a little bit about the soccer, about a little bit about soccer. 
um, didn't make sense to talk about the revolution as they um, are still off thanks to the international break. They will not be back in action until next weekend. So it didn't really make sense to talk about them if they've not played recently. Um, so what is going on is uh, Team USA World Cup qualifying for the men for the World Cup in 2022. It kicks back up tonight. Team USA will play Jamaica, and then we'll play this weekend against Panama, and then we'll play next Wednesday against Costa Rica. So Team USA in the international window winning one of the games last month and then tying both. So Team USA is currently in fifth place in the World Cup, or third place, excuse me, third place in the World Cup qualifying standings with five points uh, just behind Mexico and Canada. So Team USA will take on Jamaica, who is who are currently last in the in the standings. They'll play Panama and Costa Rica in their other two games. So be curious to see how they can how they can do tonight against Jamaica. Weston McKinney is back in the lineup for Team USA. Um, had some issues with um, COVID protocols last month um, as he had violated them. So um, very important. Three games for, for him as Team USA gets back into their qualifying. Game is at 7.30 tonight. I believe the game is in Houston, Texas. So if you have uh, something to watch, or if you have nothing to watch before the start of Thursday Night Football, you can catch a little bit of this game. I know plenty of people will be watching the Sox around here, so uh, definitely looking forward to the game tonight. Sox, Rays. you know, NFL's in full swing. You got Patriot, or you got Celtics, Bruins preseason it's going to be a great next few weeks um is worth noting got into a little bit of hockey this week we'll have a full kind of nhl preview for you guys next week so looking forward to that uh probably get some articles out for you guys too celtics and bruins in the next couple of weeks so everyone enjoy the rest of your day enjoy the weekend i think the early part of the weekend is supposed to be nice i think we might get some rain later on in the weekend happy long weekend everyone and uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. As always, you can follow the Twitter and Facebook page. Like it, follow it, whatever you have to do. Uh, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. So uh, we'll talk to you next time.